Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. We missed you last week. Yeah. <laughs> Technology did not want us to uh, record last week. Yeah. Daniel got to see the ugly side of Brent a little bit. Um, <laughs> and some of you saw me actually a little bit probably uh, testing things last week when things weren't going well. I wanted to make sure that we got this audio and this video working so that we don't have to deal with it anymore. We just come in, set up, and go. So um, anyway, welcome to another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. I am Brent Smith, your host as usual, joined by Pastor Daniel Yelverton and Michael Miller. And uh, it's kind of nice that our first like official non-pilot episode of Facebook Live has Michael with us because yeah. he was, he's kind of been part of our core unit for so long, um, even though he, he's had to step back just a little bit recently. It's kind of nice to have him here for our first official episode. So, Michael, welcome back. Glad to Thank have you, buddy. Welcome back. Good to be here. <laughs> um, so, guys, I'm just uh, I'm excited. Uh, I was just explaining this to the Facebook Livers uh, before uh, we went live with the actual podcast. Uh, but we are, for the first time ever in this uh in this podcast, we're getting into the Old Testament. So it's fun. It's exciting for us um, because we've never done this before. We've never actually talked about Old Testament stuff. So I'm excited to see if it feels different, if the conversation's different, because it is a very different um, viewpoint on things and a very different, um, uh, I, I don't know, like just with with God and with um, everything that was set up for the, uh, the Jewish people before as opposed to how everything changed after Jesus came. So I'm excited to get into all of that. Um, so what we're doing, um, as I spoke about before to Facebook Live, uh, Daniel has the small groups that are uh, have started now, right? Started yeah. on the 15th. Mm-hmm. And our small group um, session that's going for 10 weeks is, um, they started in on Genesis 1. Yep. So uh, we were in Revelation before, and instead of having everybody that's in the small groups start at the very end of Revelation, he thought it'd be a nice fresh start to start in Genesis. So we are in Genesis now. Um, we're actually, the small groups are going to be in Genesis 10, I believe, today. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so what we decided to do with our scripture reading, if you watch this podcast or listen to this podcast, I guess in the past, um, is we usually have a scripture reading from the Dwell app that we set up, and then we have that that play um, and it gives us the scripture reading and we have the context and everything to kick off the conversation after the, the scripture plays. Today, what we're going to do is we're not going to use dwell because we're actually recapping Genesis 1 through 10 and actually 11 because um, we're going to use the Bible project that we've talked about a lot on here before. Yeah. They have a great recap, recap, recap. They have a great recap um, of Genesis one through eleven that takes about seven, seven and a half minutes. So we're going to use that audio today instead of the dwell app. So now you guys are set up. You have context. You know where we're going, why we're going there, and here we go. The book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible, and God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans, or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image. 
which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential, to care for it, and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden, like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now, the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the humans seize autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The man and the woman, they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are. Now, they can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go and run and hide from God. And then when God finds them, they start this game of blame shifting about who rebelled first. Now, right here, the story stops. And there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head, which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost because the snake too will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled. And what does God do? He promises to rescue them. But this doesn't erase the consequences of the human's decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like 
property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings, or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted, and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world, and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, Noah, and his family, and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high, but then Noah fails too, and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam, naked and ashamed just like the first, and the downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick. And they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before. And they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods, and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's the garden rebellion now writ large. And so God humbles their pride and scatters them. Now, this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. These stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad, that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships, leading to conflict and violence and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come, the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. And so despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue his world. And so the big question, of course, is what is God going to do? And the next story, The Hinge, offers the answer. But for now, that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is all about. All right, you guys, and we are back. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that. I know it was really long, and there was a ton of information in there. Yep. I mean, you're missing basically 11 of the first chapters of the Bible when everything is created, and so many other things are happening. So um, what do you guys, as always, what do you guys want to get into? I get a kick out of the creation story. Because, like, all right, we just came out of Revelation, right? And I know Brent, like, he digs <laughs> Revelation. And I do, I do. I dig the first like six or so chapters of, of, uh, of Genesis because I, I've read some astrophysics and I just get a kick out of the idea of of the, how the universe came to be, and I and I get a kick out of, you know, Genesis and how the how the universe came to be, and I'm seeing like how things come together and and I don't know. I just I, I think this part of the Bible is really exciting and it's really fun to to get into. Yeah. Uh, have you you guys ever listened to Ravi Zacharias? Mm-hmm. Any of the stuff that he does, bit. man. Like I've heard him really talk on some of creation, and it's just mind blowing stuff. 
Um, but anyway, uh, th- if it, if you guys want to check out any more of that, Ravi Zacharias, it's R-A-V-I. I thought it was Robbie when I first started listening the way people <laughs> yeah. pronounce it. It's not Tiffany's son. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, if he knew all that stuff, it'd be uh, yeah, amazing. He'd be brilliant. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I like just that there is just pieces of information that we can glean um, just in the account. Like uh, when when God in the narrative in Genesis one says, let us create man in our image. Um, just the, the pluralism of that, like you're seeing already the beginning, uh, or the revelation of, of the Trinity. Um, and then in, even in the original Hebrew, when it says in the beginning, God created, God is singular, but created is plural in the Hebrew. And so it would, it would look like a grammatical error, but it's actually intentional because God is, God singular, but he's also three parts. Right. And so there's the pluralism in that. And you see that even when we combine that with John one, where he says like in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word and by him, like all things are created when we kind of throw in Colossians one, uh, you see that Jesus is also there when God speaks and that the spirit of God hovers over the waters. And so in the first three verses, you get God, the father, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, yeah, all in one kind of collision, which I think is and, and awesome. You, and you also get in the next chapter, in chapter two, you get this kind of foretelling of Christ with, with a story about um, the how the serpent will be crushed, yeah, but at the same time it'll strike the, the heel, yeah, you know. So you, you kind of get some foretelling about what happens on the cross as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, yeah, it's amazing stuff. And I think another thing that I think a lot of people don't know, and Daniel may disagree with, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Agree, uh, agree to disagree. <laughs> Genesis one and the very beginning part of Genesis two is um, is poetry. Um, there, there's a lot of parallels. That, so, like Hebrew poetry is deeper than just like American English poetry. Like you know, we have meter and rhyme, and it's cool, but their stuff goes. You know, to different levels, there are some like parallels. So, like you see, day day one, two, and three, we see how God's dividing things. He divides darkness and light. He divides the water from the sky, and he divides the water from the land. So, like the first three days, he's dividing things. Well, then the the next three days, like four, five, and six, all those things correspond with those first three days. So, like day one, he he, he divides the darkness and the light. Well, in day four. He creates the sun, moon, and stars. So you see how like there's there's parallels there, mm. and, and like on, on day two where he separates the um, the water and the and the sky. Now we see like birds and fish being created in day five. So <laughs> I know that that we like to say well, this is literal and that he did these things in these literal this this exact order, but there's something bigger going on in the story. It, there's there's imagery and there's poetry, and I think that when we get stuck in the minutia of well, how did how did you know the the God create the darkness and the light before He created the sun? Like when we get into the order of things, I think we miss the the whole point because in the ancient Near East, there were other creation stories that told basically the same story with a couple major differences, like how God's separating things. Well, they did it to where like one God literally would separate another God. And like the separation of the water and the sky was a, a, a God being torn apart by another God. Like the, in other accounts, the, you know, the entire universe was created with violence. <laughs> mm. 
But see, what we see here, the, the cap of, of each stanza is God says it was good. Mm-hmm. So we see the cre- a creation from a good God that's not just here to just use us as toys and just punish us and just be this terribly mean God. Mm-hmm. We see a God from the very beginning of our Bible that's doing something different in, in history. Mm-hmm. He's doing things good. He's different than us. We're evil. But we see from the very beginning that God is good. And I get a kick out of that. Yeah. The, the difference in, in, in how how we look at, at, at creation and how it's good compared to how other religions tend to look at it. I think it's like, and not only that, it's uh, it's good, but God also blesses. Like, so God um, is intentionally um, giving forth a blessing to the creation um, to be fruitful, to be multiply, to multiply. He gives us the, the uh, is his image bearers, which I think is also a really cool like concept yeah, yeah. is that God said, let's create man in our image. Right. And, yeah. and so that he is given uh, man is, is, is a distinct uh, part of creation. It is where we are different from the rest of creation. Um, you know, and, it, and I see it as, is a lot of different, uh, that has a lot of implications. Like it's one, I think you can think of the triune God and you can think about the triune nature of man. Like man is, is body, soul, yeah. like, so mind, will, and emotions, and then also a spirit. Um, and so that's a similarity, but also uh, our ability to to create, to to decide what's good and evil. This uh, this uh, this uh, kind of uh, authority and blessing that God gives us, you know, uh, because it says at the end of Genesis three, uh, when they kind of have this paradise lost moment, um, it says that the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil, and now they're going to reach out from the tree of life and eat it forever. And so there's this, uh, God has given us the ability to choose what is good and evil, just like God, he was able to define what was good in creation. However, when we seize autonomy for ourselves and we say, I'm going to decide what's good, I'm going to decide what's true, I'm going to decide what's, uh, you know, the relationship between good and bad, um, we, we fracture that relationship with God. You know, we, we don't fall under the, what God has established as good and we've kind of created it for our own. And so, in, and I think what's, what's sad and tragic is that you see just this spiraling down so fast, mm-hmm. like creation that God intended to be wonderful and beautiful and uh, teeming with life and goodness has just turned awful like it goes so bad and it gets to the point where in genesis 6 god is literally he's he's sorry like he's sorrowful about how uh you know human beings have stewarded and have turned his creation into something just you know awful and violent Mm -hmm. you know and being a children's minister when we get to this chapter six this is something that I want to take very, very carefully. Yeah, because absolutely. Because what we do is we say, all right, kids, we're going to tell you the story of Noah. Like, so Noah <laughs> was this really good guy, and there were some really bad guys. And then what happened is is God floods the entire world, and he kills everybody. But before he does that, we get to have giraffes, you know? <laughs> and, and elephants. We, and we, we, paint this, we paint this pretty picture, and we're like, yay, and then there's a rainbow, and it's awesome. I think that we should struggle with this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this isn't really a kid story, even though we teach it to our kids. This is something that if you read this as an adult for the first time, you should go, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Like God killed a bunch of people because they weren't righteous. 
What was going on? Why why would God repent of making man? What does that even mean? Yeah. Like this is something that we should we should really struggle over, you know? And I I mean I still do. I'm like I I want to make excuses for it. Like cuz in in my human mindset it's like that's like genocide but worse. Like this is this is a terrible sin that God cre- does. You know like that's the way my mind works. Yeah. So I think we need to be very careful as we tell these stories to our children because what I fear is that when our kids get to be our age and they're really getting into the stuff, or maybe in their 20s and really getting into the stuff, and I'm not in my 20s. but um, <laughs> I hope they're getting into this when they're in their 20s. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like when they're really digging into this, I don't want them to go back and look at when they were kids like, wait a minute. They gave us this fluffy story about elephants. <laughs> and then when flannelgraph. I read, you know, fluffy. Do we do flannelgraph? We don't do flannelgraph. No, we don't have what do you guys remember? flannelgraph. Really? You don't know? No. Oh, man. Uh, what is it? It's like It's like some like... You put the stuff material on the wall and you can and it move it. Sticks and to it. it, like you put can put things that stick on it, uh-huh. and it kind of creates. It's basically like I guess if any if anybody grew Brent, up going to like church South in like Park. the eighties and nineties, it's 90s. like South Park. Uh, no one no one here watches South Park, but for our like never, putting pictures never, together to explain things. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So it's like flannel. the graph had me very. I was like, what? Flannel you, graph. Yeah. If you look at a flannel <laughs> pattern, I was like, are they using that to like graph stuff out? Yeah, it's like a lumberjack thing. Uh, no. They're but, testing the enthusiasm of the children. <laughs> oh, and then they yeah. get to the part where God kills everybody except for Noah and his family. And they're like, oh. Yeah. It's, 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 so that's the point. Falls is, off the is, flannel chart. That's the point is that when kids get to their 20s, I don't I, I don't want them to fall off the flannel chart that Brent's talking about. Because they go, oh my goodness, no one ever told me that this terrible story this way. So I, I, I'm trying to, to teach these stories uh, as honest as I can. Um, but yet... I'm not going to go and like, all right, kids. So God just completely just destroyed. I want you to imagine for a moment if this was you and your family. Like, I don't, I'm not going that far. So, but that, that's a challenge that we have is to try to teach, teach these kids the truth without sugarcoating it so much to where when they get older, they don't, don't even recognize the story. Yeah. yeah. I love it though. Like, <clears throat> Michael, just to say something um, good about you. Um, I yes. think you're the right guy to be running our e-kids ministry right now because I think that, I think that you want to go those hard places, but you also really wrestle with it and struggle with it, how to do it, how to do it appropriately. And right. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure that the parents and the kids do as well. The kids might not know yet, but I'm sure that they will later because because these things aren't things that we're supposed to keep from our children. They're things that we're supposed to teach our children about, but we have to do it in the right way um, and in a, in a safe way that isn't going to just freak them out and make them think that God's just going to kill everybody again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I appreciate that. Man. Well, you, you know, and this is, might be off topic, but maybe it's encouraging to our audience that um, when I, when I felt called into ministry initially, I didn't know what that meant. I never knew what my calling was. And I always assumed it was like, I was going to be a pastor or something, you know? And, um, and as I grew, I just never reached the potential that, that I thought that, that I had, if that makes any sense. And, um, and I, but I always found myself through the years, pastors been like, Hey, you'd be really good to work with kids or why don't you, you know, be the MC for our VBS or, or these kinds of things. And I always thought like, man, these guys just put me in front of kids because they don't think that I've got the chops to work with adults. <laughs> like I, fe- I felt like it was a slight. I felt like it was, uh, you know, like they thought that I was, I wasn't good enough. And then God kind of revealed it to me like, Michael, you dummy. <laughs> the next generation is where it's at because you can have so much impact on the next generation because they're moldable. You know, with adults, they're either going to believe you or they're not. 
and they're going to go to a church that they already kind of feel like that's their home. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm not going to go, no offense to anybody, but I'm not going to go to a Catholic church because that's not where I am. So a Catholic priest is not going to reach me. But a kid hasn't formed who they are, and, and you're, you can reach them, if that makes any sense. Yeah. That's where you're moldable. So it's very important, but also <laughs> I feel a, a very, very big responsibility because since kids are moldable, we'd better get it right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, so, it's, so that's the way I take it is that it's a captive audience that we have to do our due diligence and have to be responsible. Yeah. Um, Daniel, real quick, keep that thought. Um, I just, if you guys are watching on Facebook Live for the first time, um, you might be, it's only the second time we've done one, so the chances are good that that's probably happening right now. But um, just to let you guys know, as I went around and introduced us by name, but to let you know too here at Elevation Community Church who we are, Michael is obviously our eKids director, our children's ministry director. Daniel is our small groups community life pastor, um, and I am the worship leader here. So that's who we are right now and who this panel is. And each week we try to have, um, Daniel and I are usually the, um, the regulars Michael was for a long time, but he's had to step back just a little bit. Um, so he's only on once a month now. We're hoping that changes someday and he comes back to us full time. But, um, uh, we do also have our lead pastor, Phil Nelson and our, um, uh, youth director, youth director, even though we don't really call it that. What is it? Aim student, student ministries director. I'm going to try to get that in my head. So I say it properly now. Huge name. Yeah. Our student (laughs) ministries director, Tiffany Wiss and her husband, Jeff, they both run the the student ministries for us. Um, Jeff might try to join us sometimes too. So anyway, giving you guys a heads up on that. Now back to our regularly scheduled Daniel. <laughs> regularly scheduled, regularly Daniel. scheduled Daniel. That's I'm, awesome. I'm glad we talking we're talking about this because I think that when we're reading uh, parts of Genesis, especially the flood, I've had conversations with uh, with many people, uh, many people that are adults that are young in their faith that just really had a hard time reconciling this. And uh, we actually did uh, a you asked for it uh, in our at our church, and there was a, yeah. it was an opportunity for us to kind of wrestle with some of those questions. And something and a question about the flood did come up about why does a good God, you know, yeah, why does a good God do this? Why did it, why did a flood kind of take place? And and where did dinosaurs come from? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so we had a we, we had a question that no one that we didn't talk about was where do babies come from? One of the when the teens popped one of the that teens did that one. Yeah, we just didn't do that. We just. We just said talk to your parents because none yeah. of us know. <laughs> <laughs> so so, anyways, but I think it's like it's really interesting to look at kind of what is happening here because you can see just kind of like the facts and say, okay, God's good. All of a sudden, God is not good, and God is, just kills everybody. You know, which doesn't kind of like go into the narrative of who God is all throughout this. Like God is constantly pursuing. Like you see the uh, what's going on with Cain and Abel. He's having a conversation with Cain, saying, "Cain, don't go down this road." Don't allow sin to control you. Sin is eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And of course, Cain doesn't listen to God. He kills his brother and then starts this kind of generational thing of just violence. Yeah. And, and then uh, God is, he even, even in Genesis 3, uh, he gives us the promises. He gives us the promise of Jesus in the midst of all of it. He says, there's going to be someone that's going to crush the power of sin. And then he gives... Uh, he gives Adam and Eve grace in giving them something to clothe their nakedness because of you know because of their shame and the things that they're experiencing. So you see God really trying to do what He can to to pursue and repair uh, the damage that's been done, yep. right? And then so you see this and you're like, okay, 
this this seems out of character. So what's really going on here? And I think you see that God is he's 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 mourning. He's mourning how terrible creation has become. And I think that we just kind of overlook some verses like and God saw the earth and it become corrupt and it was filled with violence. Yes. And and I don't think we just we just look at that, oh okay whatever it's filled with violence because I think there's part of us that are you know a little desensitized to violence. But then and then we think oh my gosh God responded by by destroying the the earth. But it says that. Um, it says here that in, in the original text that God, it says that he will devour the devourers in that, that his creation has become devourers. They're devouring each other. And so what do you do with someone that has no, uh, doesn't care about human life, doesn't value human life, uh, is extremely violent, lives for a really long time and just constantly breeds and, and, and creates this rippling effect. Cause I think one thing we know about sin is that it never affects just one person. It has like rippling consequences. Right. And so if you have somebody that's continually violent for, you know, 700 years or how long you have some of these people living, um, you know, you have Methuselah living 979 years or 69 years. And so you have like, just like, imagine how bad it gets. Like, what do you do with somebody that is a serial murderer and a serial yeah. rapist and, uh, and, uh, has, you know, and sla- it spreads and, Daniel. and enslaves people and they it won't spreads. stop. Like, what do you do with that? In a just society, you put that person in prison or you, you end their life because of their inability to see the value of human life. Right. Yeah. Because you, you see that as a whole, it's good to preserve the sanctity of human life in general, right? And if all of creation has turned completely violent, then God in his mercy hits the restart button because the the earth will just collapse and everything that he has created that's been good will be completely destroyed because humanity has completely disregarded what is good and 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 yeah. the sanctity of life. And so like God <clears throat> in his in his mercy is is hitting the restart button with Noah and his family. Yeah. Right? And so uh, and so this is like, I know it sounds really hard to kind of work through to think that, that these are all lives of people that are die are they're dying, um, but what's being created in this planet is is absolutely is heading towards a terrible place of destruction destruction to where God has to almost eliminate all of that terrible not almost he, he does have to. yeah yeah he eliminates it's, it's like imagine if you're a pet owner right and you have and you have a dog and I'm only doing this because I don't think it's appropriate for humans to make this kind of decision with humans but imagine because we're over the dog right like how God is over us and the, and the dog has cancer mm. right and this cancer is destructive it is eating up the cells of this dog now of course as as a good a good owner of this dog you're going to do everything you can possibly do to help this dog if you're a super rich dude and you could afford chemotherapy for your dog <laughs> like you're going to do that yeah. everything you could possibly do but this cancer just kind of has a will of its own so this cancer spreads and it spreads and it continues devouring the cells and eventually you get this dog that is that is dying mm-hmm. and it's unhealthy and the good cells are going to get eaten up eventually. And, and the whole dog is going to die mm. because this cancer is just going to eat the dog. So And not just die, but die a miserable, yes, slow, a painful miserable death. existence. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as a dog owner, it, the, the right decision is for you to put that dog to sleep. Mm. You know, because 
that's the kind thing to do to that dog because if you don't, it's going and, – and see, when Daniel mentions – I'm so glad you mentioned this because so many people read the story and we talk about as the days of Noah and we think it's like sexuality or something – what was happening is the world was violent, mm-hmm. starting with Cain and, and his and his descendants. Was it Lamech or Lame? Lamech, yeah. Yeah. Like, and he bragged about how violent he was. Like, yeah, like if somebody pushed Lamech, he was basically saying, if somebody hits me or somebody pushes me, I will kill that person. Yeah. Like, the, that's how, that's his attitude towards humanity, that if you do anything to slight me, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. So it's dangerous to put yourself in the shoes of God. So, but let's go dangerous for a moment. <laughs> Let's imagine you name. are, you know, you are in God's <laughs> shoes in this story. And you see this cancerous people that are killing each other and they're making each other's lives miserable because of who they are. Yeah. What is the right thing to do? Do you let them devour each other to over a couple thousand years to where there's nothing left yeah. and they all kill themselves slow, painful, terrible deaths? Yeah. Or do you start over? And that's a I mean, I wouldn't want to make that decision. Right. But I, and I think the point here is we have to look whenever you're looking at the Old Testament, because as we're looking at this, we're going to this is not the first time we're going to see this. Yeah. Yeah. There are some terrible stories and we need to look at the context. What is God doing in this overall passage? Not just this verse, not this just this chapter, but what is God doing with mankind? A lot of time there's some pruning that happens to help the tree grow. There, there are some really bad things that happen that, that overall God is pushing humanity forward. And we also have a tendency to judge um, hu- you know, these stories by a modern lens. Mm-hmm. We have to keep in mind, people were a bit different than we are now. Absolutely. So these people, God needed to speak their language sometimes. Yeah, and you can you can look at God in these in, in Genesis and in general, but especially in Genesis, two different ways. You can look at him as a scientist with an experiment, very cold, very calculated, to where he created something, wanted to see how it would work out, saw that it was terrible, and just said, mm, starting over. But it doesn't make sense if you look at him that way, because after he started over one time, he made the promise, I will never, ever do that again. Mm-hmm. What cold scientist is ever going to do that? They're not going to do that because they're going to say, well, if it fails again, I'm going to start again. And so then that leans to the other way that you can look at God as a loving father, as a loving parent, if we view yeah. him in that way. As like you said, he had, he had to do the merciful thing as hard as it probably was for him because we talk about how much God loves us. Mm. We are his creation. We are his beloved creation. And um, we're his children. And to wipe out the earth, and this is a little side note, but as we got back into Genesis, I hadn't read it in a while, and I remember telling Nicole, my wife, I was like, man, I forgot how much messed up stuff happens in Genesis. It's almost like every single major sin happens like right away. And the world is just set on this this horrible collision course with just, you know, oblivion. Um, so you can look at it like God is the parent that had to make the tough decision to yeah. put the dog down and start over while he still had someone righteous to start over from. Mm-hmm. But you can't look at him as a cold, calculated scientist that doesn't care and that hates people and just has no compassion for us because he made the promise to never, ever do it again, yeah. no matter what. Well, and also the fact that he says that he repented from it, that that should make us that should make us, again, struggle. Like, what do you mean God repented? 
did God sin? Like, what? How does that work? Yeah. And and we should have that question. See, some of these things are intended to make us struggle with mm-hmm. what we read. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we we know who God is and how we just get done reading how this this powerful God that can create the universe with the word, right? Yeah. And then like he repented, J- just a couple chapters later, like what? <laughs> that that we should. I think the authors are are. are wanting us to have that reaction. So we see this this story and we realize this is something that was hard. Mm-hmm. That this is not just like you said a science experiment. God repented of this. God had some kind of emotion yeah. over what he was doing, you know? This mm-hmm. wasn't an experiment. This is very much like we've talked about like a, like a a person putting a dog down. Like that's not something you want to do. No. It's something that you cry over, right. that you grieve. You know, and, and God grieves this. Yeah, and I, and I think he I um I mean I think we're talking about the God and His kind of character and His nature and and one of the things that I like to do when I'm reading through these uh, these stories in the Book of Genesis is to see um, just how uh, the spiritual side of the things that the the characters are going through like whether it's Cain yes. with like what's going on and that dialogue that he's having with God about sin and sin having some sort of kind of um, like personification like it's not some just like like a weird, like it's just not not just like sin all by itself. Like it, it's crouching. It's wanting to subdue yeah, him. It's, it's not wanting just an to idea, control yeah. him. Yeah, and so there's there's spiritual forces that are at work. There's spiritual forces at work in Genesis three with the serpent tempting Eve. Um, that that's kind of going on. And what's cool is that you see in Revelation, you see that this kind of there's an unveiling of not only Jesus but also of the spiritual darkness that's kind of going on. Yeah. behind the scenes in our world and this conflict that's t- that's taking place and and you see God continually trying to to woo and to like bring back his um his his creation but also knowing that for us to really love and ha- be in a relationship with God he has to give us the ability to choose he has to give us the ability to have free will because it's not love if you don't have a free will and, and so uh and you see God just, he's, he's, it's literally, it says it broke his heart. It yeah. broke his heart to see how uh, the the gift of free will and the choices that, that humanity had was just being so destructive and so evil and just destroying everything. And and it's just like, but he's still, he's, he's, he's constantly trying to, uh, to bring us back, you know, he's, he's bringing us back. And even the, the reboot with Noah, it still doesn't work. Right. I mean, it still right. continues <laughs> to go down. Humanity. Kind of, part yeah, two. You, yeah. Humanity part two still <laughs> like fails. Yeah. You know, and immediately it doesn't take long. I mean, you know, Noah gets drunk and then all of a sudden all kinds of crazy stuff starts happening. Yeah. And then, you know, we get the tower of Babel where you, where people then take their technology and they say, we're going to become God, mm-hmm. you know? And how is that like, Everything in the Genesis account kind of shows that, right? See, the original temptation that the serpent gave to Eve was, you will be God. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil if you eat this. God's holding out on you, you know? And so you need to take, you need to seize this power for your own Mm -hmm. and decide what you want to do with it. And and God never has that response to us in creation. He's always trying to bring us back. He's always trying to bring us back to that. I I think it's interesting if you look at the Bible as a whole, starting obviously right here in Genesis, how patient God really is. Because mm-hmm. you have this this fall where <laughs> God says, look, people, you got one thing, just one decision. 
and we screw it up. And then and then after that, there really aren't laws of Moses yet. You know, it's more like be good, just be decent yeah. people, right? Yeah. There's no law, just be decent people, and that ends tragically with the flood because people were killing each other. And so then you know, later on, we'll find that there'll be. You know more rules of righteousness that you they start doing some sacrifices and things and like you'll get into Moses and laws of Moses like six hundred and some odd laws like so what God does is like it says look you want to make me happy and you want to be good here's exactly what I expect do these six hundred something things you know so he keeps on giving us chances keep on giving us a way to, to work things out it's like but, guard like guardrails to kind of. And we, but what we see is we continue to hit the guardrail and go over the cliff because we're stupid, right? <laughs> so, but so that so that leads us to Jesus. Now, here's the thing: it would not have made any sense for Jesus to be on the cross in the Garden of Eden. Adam would be like, "Uh, what? Yeah, yeah." God patiently, you know, inserts Himself into our story. And, and he goes from, from the Garden of Eden all the way up to the cross to where finally he fixes it. And, and I just think if you look at the meta-narrative of, of the, the Bible and you see how patient God is and how he continues to fix it, continues to fix it, like what a parent he is. Yes, there are ups and downs. Yes, we get whoopings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but he's a really, really good father. And, and the, the whole climax of, of the cross, like the crescendo, the, the big... The big, it's just amazing once yeah. you get, and it's, it's it's unexpected. Um, the 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 Bible is obviously pretty amazing. If you guys haven't read it, you should. It's an amazing <laughs> book. It's a pretty good book. Yeah, you know, it's 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 it is amazing because they call there's always that out, there's always those opportunities to kind of choose. But God knows us. It's, I'm like looking in Genesis. I think it's it's Genesis eight after the flood recedes, very end, and the Lord says, uh, Noah makes a sacrifice to the Lord. And God makes his promise. He says, never again will I curse the ground because of the human race. Mm-hmm. And never again will I will I basically completely wipe everything out because of how humans have destroyed things. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. And so God has, he, he realized there, he, he, from the start, uh, there's an issue inside. There's an issue inside internally that, that we are bent towards evil uh, because of what we had inherited, because of the world around us. And, you know, his uh, desire is to then, uh, we see ultimately in Revelation, to give us a new heart, to create a new heaven, to create a new earth where it's teeming with life and where God's goodness goes out and God lives among his people. And it's, it's amazing to see kind of how it kind of culminates. But uh, he has to give us a new heart. And the, in order to give us a new heart... Uh, he has to establish. He has to build everything up for Jesus's coming, so that Jesus can, so that we can not only be born of water, but also born of the Spirit, like right. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus in John three. And so there's this issue that humanity has, and it's almost like it never works. You know, Genesis, like that's what we see in the Old Testament is that God constantly is is bringing his is bringing himself to 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 want to love and forgive. Uh, creation, especially when you see him like calling out a people in the Israelites and they still rebel against God. And it's almost like humanity needs a new heart. And the only way they do that is through Jesus mm-hmm. and Jesus and being born of the spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit uh, through what Jesus has done on our behalf. And, and it's crazy to see that all of this is even just kind of sprinkled in all throughout Genesis. When Moses wrote the Torah before anything, he 
It's almost like God was already, he already had all this plan. And even Moses even predicted, he said, you know, there's going to be someone like me that's going to come and that's going to set everyone free. Right. And so, uh, so Jesus and God's plan from the start is always going to be, it's always put on display. And so that's why I love looking at this because I love seeing God's pursuit for humanity, humanity's response and struggle with evil, but then God's ultimate plan to redeem us all. Yeah. Well, guys, we have uh, gone a little bit long today. We've gone for about 40, 45 minutes today, um, and and it Oops. is what it is. It was a good conversation, and <laughs> I don't mind going long. If people want to shut it off, they can shut it off, and we'll keep having a good conversation <laughs> That's right. for those who want to join in with us. So, um, guys, uh, we're going to wrap up there. Um, Michael, would you pray for us? Sure. Before you do, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us again. Um, it's really fun being able to watch this Facebook Live and see you guys tuning in, see who's watching, see who's got something to say to us, being able to respond with you guys. So um, hopefully this is good for you guys, and um, hopefully it'll grow. So anyway, Michael, go ahead and pray us out, sure. and then we'll close up. Thank you. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, as we, um, as we start reading Genesis and, and pursue the rest of the Old Testament and just continue reading the Bible, Lord, I ask that you would just bring your spirit upon all of us, that um, as we wrestle with these things, that that you could lead our study, that that you could be there and you can guide each each word and, and, and teach us the things that we need to, to learn, not just as a church or even with our listeners that are outside of the church, but as individuals, that you and your spirit, that you would teach us um, these things that we find in Genesis and Exodus and, and on through. Um, but and Father, as we um, get ready to go do the rest of our week, Father, I ask that you would just be with us and, uh, and help us to grow, help us to stay safe, and just, uh, again, love on us and as we love you. But Lord, we love you when you ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, Michael. Um, thank you, Daniel. Um, yeah. Thank you to everybody tighten, watching. Tighten up, right? Tighten up. That's right. <laughs> um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, see how, how it goes. goes. <laughs> It's a it's a crapshoot right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, it's a recap, right? Yeah, uh, recap. recap wow. yeah. Yep. There we go. So for those for those of you who um, <laughs> are listening to the audio version of this podcast, I have a Tennessee Titan shirt on, on today. I am um, Ohio born and raised. Lived in Nashville for a decade, and um, so the Tennessee Titans are my football team. So. Um, pray for me um (laughs) so anyway guys uh we'll go ahead and close up there but thank you so much for joining us um and uh hopefully you guys are enjoying this hopefully we'll see you again next week on facebook live um if not hopefully you'll listen on the audio podcast but please just share this podcast if you would please um i listen to a lot of podcasts uh throughout the week and i study them a lot for uh things that we can do better on here and things that we need to talk about and uh, address with you guys so um if there's anything that we're doing that you could see us improve or that you would like to see us do that we're not doing. Um, We want to be better for you guys and as good as we can. One thing, if you guys would please go on to um, any of the platforms that we're available on. We're available on Apple Podcasts. We're available on Spotify. We're available on SoundCloud. If you would go in on any of those, if you get a chance, please rate us and review us. Um, It helps the podcast be seen more. Uh, by other people and be recommended for other people and as always I say it's not for us to gain in popularity but that's for people to hopefully if we're doing something good here for people to benefit from that and for them to get to know um, get to know who God is who the Holy Spirit is who Jesus is through these conversations that's what we want so um, please if you guys would do that otherwise um, no pressure at all just until we talk to you next week go out and be the light to the world like that's it so um, so yeah just go be good to people Um, love on them 
let uh, let the light of Jesus and the Holy Spirit shine through you. And um, just be good, guys. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. See you. Bye.